Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. The Thinking Practitioner Podcast is supported by ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education and quick reference apps, online scheduling and payments with Pocket Suite, and much more. And ABMP CE courses, podcast, and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including Till and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. Are you ready to take your skills to another level? Come check us out at advanced-trainings.com. Whether you've been practicing for decades or are just starting out, Advanced Trainings offers a wide range of online and in-person programs designed to boost your effectiveness, deepen your understanding, and inspire your professional creativity. With innovative self-paced programs, ranging from one-hour certificate courses on the most common client complaints to our comprehensive CAMT certification program, we offer practice-changing learning events with industry-leading instructors and a, and a supportive learning community that will take your work to another level. Plus, for a limited time, thinking practitioner listeners like you can enjoy a special offer. Sign up today at advanced-trainings.com and get a free month of our amazing AT subscription. Explore extensive library of courses, cancel anytime, and keep your credits all from just $20 a month with the first month free for TTP listeners like you. Enter Thinking Subscriber at checkout for this limited time offer at advanced-trainings.com. Thank you. Hey, Whitney, how are you doing here? I'm doing fine, sir. And how are you doing? And this uh, this is the beginning of 2024 when we are making this recording here. So we're looking forward to a, a new and exciting and innovative year at the Thinking Practitioner. Beginning of the year, and we're going to take a little bit of time and look back on this past season you and I were both surprised that it's the fourth season. We've done four of these full year seasons of The Thinking Practitioner. Yeah. That's like, um, yeah, we're up in 109 episodes now. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of our conversation today is to share our highlights, but also with the listeners, help you, the listener, uh, get some gleanings, get some interesting points from our year of interviews with each other and with interesting guests, but also to give you some breadcrumbs to follow back into the season to see which topics you want to dig into further. Absolutely. And, you know, with this being the thinking practitioner, you know, I tried to, ref as we were doing our reflections, really think about what of our episodes had really made me think a lot during this year. And mm -hmm. there were certainly, uh, there was a lot of them. It was hard to pick out some of the, the highlights because they were they were all things that made us, uh, made me think, I know, in, in particular. That's right. It made me think. It also gave me tangible things to try and to do differently, too. That's always my litmus test here. Yeah. See that. Yeah. So, practitioner uh, being the second part of the title, we want to practice these things. We want to do them. Yeah. That's right. Put it into practice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, tell me, you've got some, I think, some stats on where we are currently yeah. with, with this tell me with the show itself not yeah. not to bore you with too many stats but yeah. uh we're you know four years in we're up to three over three hundred and fifty thousand downloads and that's still climbing the number of listeners has been climbing every year it's still climbing uh about 70 percent of the listeners in the last year were in the usa which leaves 30 percent for the rest of the world mostly english-speaking countries but mm -hmm. a pretty broad variety 
The other interesting statistic or feature is that you and I both started publishing these as YouTube uh, episodes on our respective YouTube channels, and that's gotten a lot of response as well, too. It seems like a lot of people tune in via YouTube. Yeah. that's It's been a good year. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Well, looking back, again, on these 20, uh, whatever it was, episodes we did, 26 episodes in the last year, what do you, where do you want to start with? What's one of your highlights? Well, I think, uh, you know, we both kind of put together a little bit of a list of some of the things that were influential for us. And I was um, interested to see when we came together with these lists. We had a couple of them. You know, we all, we decided to pick five each. Um, five each. Out of what was that total? Some Somewhere probably around 25 or so episodes. I didn't count exactly how many it was. Yeah. But yeah. so we only got to to talk about one fifth of them, but I was interested to see that you and I had some crossover of, of similar ones that landed on both of our lists. One of the first ones was the one that we had done with uh, Robert Schleip about uh, fascial stiffness and pain. That was pretty interesting. And we got some interesting feedback from folks about that too, you know, wanting to hear more, learn more about that. That was episode 99, which we called Wait What? Fascial Stiffness and Pain, because Robert Schleip being the co-author of this study, talked about how their findings showed what we would not ex necessarily expect as body workers, that stiffer fascia was less painful, and that painfulness, at least in the plantar fascia, correlated with less stiff fascia. So that our sim very simplistic narrative of let's make things less stiff so they feel better didn't hold up in this case. And we he shared some of the findings and some of the ideas around why that might be and some uh, maybe some more refined ways, more nuanced ways to think about what we're doing. I did get, just this morning, I did get an update from him uh, about that uh, study. He said in that, it's that same episode, he mentioned a depression study correlating fascial qualities with depression. And he says, as mentioned in that talk, we now have two larger clinical studies going on currently to explore fascial aspects involved in depression. Both of them have over 100 patients. I would expect the first reliable results in the spring of 2025. So that's been a really interesting topic. Some of the first that I know of research correlating uh, tissue qualities with non-physical states, in this case, psychological or emotional states. He says, another, in another good news, a radiologist from the university where it is, Ulm University, has just developed a way to assess fascial tissues on inflammatory markers via conventional MRI scans. He's quite, Dr. Slipes, quite excited by this possibility, and this may have paved the path towards including reliable fascia, fascial tissue diagnosis into conventional orthopedic exams, such as in low back pain, tennis elbow, plantar fasciitis, etc., He's already started a collaboration with this clinician and this researcher to compare his assessments with our fascial stiffness assessment tools. And he includes a link about the press release on that. We'll put that in our show notes. That and sounds very significant. Yeah, very, yeah. especially being able to finally see something about soft tissue structure like that on an MRI, especially with right. fascial tissue. Sounds and yeah. inflammatory activity, not just density, which is what MRIs traditionally show, but yeah. the fascial, uh, sorry, the uh, inflammatory activity would be really interesting yeah. to see on a real life scan. And then third piece of news from Dr. Schleip, in October, I got the position of a full professor here at Ulm University. In Germany, that's as much of a step upwards from PhD as a PhD is itself. Mm -hmm. So congratulations to Dr. Schleip. I really, uh, it's great to 
have your contributions in the field. And I'm glad you're getting to a place where we have even more influence and contributions to go forward. Yeah. And we've had a couple of wonderful episodes with him and hopefully we will get him back again to talk about some of these newer findings because uh, we certainly have, you know, as we watch the the download statistics, his talks are always ones that are very interesting for a lot of people um, and because uh, there's just such uh, fascinating things that they're on the, the cutting edge of, of discovery and learning about there. So so more yeah. interesting things coming out of his group and his work. We'll watch for that yeah. in the coming, coming years. Yeah, absolutely. So what uh, what's uh, on your list there? You know, I really, the first one that went on my list was your conversation with Walt Fritz. That mm -hmm. was episode 87, Shared Decision Making. And Walt's just an entertaining guy. I like listening to him. And yeah. uh, I, I did a conversation with him too later that I enjoyed a lot. But the topic of shared decision-making, its it was gratifying that he even gives it a name mm -hmm. because this process of really deciding what to do or designing the session or with the client's input is a key one. It's close to my heart, and I know it's for a lot of people. The longer you work, the more you realize that re really makes the difference between effective work and just working on people yeah. and you know shooting the dice, as it were. It's like, how can we involve our clients in the decision-making we do during the session and, and even how we focus our session itself? He had a wonderful way of describing that process, and I really enjoyed your conversation with him. Yeah, that was so fascinating to, to get into that, and that whole idea of how empowering it is to be working. Um, it's, it's basically like getting two people to do the job instead of one um, in yeah. a lot of instances. And uh, yeah, he brought some really interesting insights. I, I always love sitting in on, and you know, you, you mentioned too, the other conversations that you had had with Walt Fritz to another episode. And there was some other great gems in those too, when you were um, doing the work with uh, Walt and Ruth and some other things that you had mm -hmm. talked about there. There's just, he's yes. a wonderful resource. And, and I certainly would encourage people to go back, take a listen to those, those episodes because anybody who's doing any kind of clinical work, there's always gems that come out of those discussions with him. Well, his background as a PT and then as a teacher for a long time just comes through in his uh, eloquent or articulate way of describing what he's up to and putting yeah. names to things that yeah. we can understand. And he's just a wonderfully nice guy. He's just, he's a nice guy. Good to listen to. So yeah, that was good. That was a good piece there. All right. So what's, what's one of yours? What do you well, let's look through the list again, trying to think, you know, what was impactful for me? Um, the episode that I had done with Nicole Miller talking about working with veterans mm -hmm. was one that I got a lot of insight into things that I just don't think about very much. Um, this is a group of people who I don't do much work with, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to her and find out, you know, kind of what's going on here, because it is certainly a group that can be tremendously impacted by a lot of things that we do with manual therapy, um, and there's such a need for addressing this. But there are so many fine points and subtleties about the the experiences uh, that veterans go through, the the things that are necessary for practitioners to think about in terms of being prepared to work with some of these people who have had very serious trauma, obviously, psychological as well as physical traumas for many of them. And um, there are just, I think, so few um, intervention approaches that can be as powerful as what we're doing with a lot of the hands-on work. And so it was really um, inspiring to hear the wonderful work that Nicole has been doing with the the you know Veterans Administration for many years and trying to work with a lot of these people here. That was a great one. That was episode eighty four, and we got some good feedback on that. People really appreciated your conversation, yeah, with her, and it made me reflect on how much 
uh, trauma impact combat war uh, danger that combat danger military danger has had on yeah. our country yeah because it's like we don't think of it as being on our soil necessarily but there are so many people that are actively involved in that or have been in their lifetimes yeah that it's it's uh, like an invisible presence here yeah. right amongst us and there's so much we can learn so much I can learn by working with people that have been through those kinds of things or dealing with the effects of that that apply to everybody. Yeah, so thank absolutely. You for bringing her in. Yeah, she's um, done some wonderful work over the years. I would encourage people, anybody who's interested in learning some more about working with veterans, I would encourage you to go back, take a listen to that because there are some really good resources that she brings forward in there as well. And so, war is war is with us. Combat yeah. is with us, and the effects of the trauma are with us. That's yeah. present as ever in our world. So it's a great one to have a relationship to within yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And uh, on next on the list, I noticed there was one that we both shared an interest in, oh, and this is one that we that. actually got a lot of feedback about. Um, uh -huh. Which one was this on your list next? Episode 92, The Art of a Good Question. The Art of a Good Question, mm -hmm. where you and I discussed that topic, what makes a good question in different topics. Mm -hmm. Why did it end up on your list? What do you like about it? Well, you know, because I love the... Um, I have to say, you know, this is one of the things that I love about doing this podcast with you is interesting questions that we get to ask people, but things that we ask each other and the way that we think about the questions that we're um, trying to, you know, that are the big questions we're trying to solve in the treatment room with clients or in our profession in general. What are some of those things and how do we look at, you know, what is the meat behind a lot of those things? And we came up with some interesting angles here talking about both individually how we ask things of our clients but also you know how we're asking things of ourselves and what we're looking at how we're learning uh processes are, are working in the stuff that we're doing as well that's how this got on my radar i was we were doing these online study groups and i saw some practitioners some participants coming in with amazing questions that just launched us into the whole uh the whole discussion for that whole period and it started me asking, what is it that makes a good question? And how could I actually get better at that myself, mm -hmm. both as a learner, but then also as a practitioner? Yeah. You know, I think well. so often in, in a lot of our traditional education, we kind of, you know, the, the classroom questions are mainly just about getting information in there. But we have to always remember, I think now, what we're really trying to do is help build inquiring minds that are really looking into deeper things and, and asking some of the tough questions like, you know, what happens when what you're teaching us doesn't work? You know, what do we do? Yes, you know, how do we do these right. things? And how do we look at things differently or what? That's right. Uh, these are these are all things because the the real life clinical environment is, in fact, messy. It doesn't follow follow those rules easily. So the better you can be at, at asking those questions and, and, and looking and finding those answers, I think, the better for for everybody involved. Especially in the situations where there may not be a clear answer, sometimes mm -hmm. a, a the right question is all you need yeah. to open things up. Right. Great discussion. Yeah. So okay. uh, that had Your landed as, not, as the next one on my list. So we'll we'll yeah. consider that we've done that. So tell me what's next oh, on your list there. Back to me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of curiosity, this is the episode we called Curious Souls. It was 96 with Aaron Alexander and Sue Hitzman. Mm -hmm. And we just talked. They are both high-profile podcasters in the health and fitness niche. And I enjoy both of them as people as well. I thought, let's just get on and see where the conversation goes. And it went lots of places. We talked about lots of things, but mostly we talked about curiosity and how we learn and how we focus on what we give our attention to. Yeah. And it was just an enjoyable time with them. And also 
one of the ones that seemed to resonate and we got a lot of feedback about as well too. You know, and this is what I find interesting too, is that, you know, and people talk about this a lot of times with, with videos too, like you might produce a whole series of videos and think like, oh, this one is gold. This is a great piece of content and it goes yeah. nowhere, you know? Yeah. And then you yeah. like throw something together, like, oh, somebody asked me this, I'll put this up there. And all of a sudden everybody's just looking at this. And I think I oftentimes am surprised at what it is that people really get the most out of or really want to hear more about. And this, that was a really good episode for, for broaching a lot of things that I wouldn't have necessarily thought to be landing on on our, our radar screen frequently for a lot of listeners. That's right. And one of the things they each do is they they talk to people and their work addresses health in general. And you and I have narrowed our podcast to hands-on mm -hmm. uh, practitioners appropriately. And I love that. But it was great, again, to pick up a little higher above the fence that we've set up and say like, okay, so how does this relate out into the bigger questions involved? Which is always, I think, a valuable perspective in helping us break down those silos and look at how we can, you know, reach out and connect with other people who are doing similar types of work or working with similar people and wanting to get results there. I think that's very, very helpful for them. Okay. What, what's on your list next? Let's see. Next on my list, of course, you know, my I had to put this back on the list. I know I put it was on my list last year. Our our episode with Stuart McGill, and we had another one with him there this year. Uh, I just learned so much from him. Um, again, this this gets me thinking about all kinds of stuff, and you know, uh, it has made me dive a lot deeper into a lot of his other work, his other writings and and uh, productions and things like that. And um, he's just such a a brilliant clinician who's come at this uh, big, big question of back pain from so many different angles and with with some really interesting kinds of solutions for things. I just, I'm so in awe of his uh, analytical capabilities for identifying a lot of these back pain problems. And and I, I kind of consider this, you know, something that I aspire to try to get better at and, you know, work towards in terms of of being and sharing those, those clinical pearls. It's dedicated his life's work to the, the puzzle of back pain. Mm -hmm. And he's largely retired, although he still does some interesting things. And it was very generous of him to come and spend some more time with us and yeah. talk through what his lifetime of learning. He's also such an interesting guy to listen to and an unapologetic spokesman for the value of physics. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, his background as an engineer says, no, sometimes it's just the way you do things. It's just the tissue. Yeah. Psychosocial stuff. Yeah, sure. Maybe, but let's talk about physics. And just as a counterpoint, sometimes to the things that I get most interested in and spend my time with, I really appreciated his point of view yeah. as well too. Mm -hmm. Just as a side note to this, wasn't on the podcast, but this, cause this was a, a magazine article that came across my desk yesterday. I think it was, um, and I read it this morning before our podcast. It was about um, disc herniations and saying, and the article is essentially what causes disc herniations. And so I was like, okay, let's just see, was there anything new and different in here? And um, the author was talking a lot about, you know, there've been kind of like different camps of focusing on causes of back pain from disc herniations being mainly mechanical loading has been a big one. But one of the things that they brought up significantly was genetics that, you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily about loading and it's not necessarily about metabolic process or things like that. There are, there are people who are, uh, have a genetic predisposition to weakened discs. And that may be, 
you know, a very simple thing that you might do that might seem completely innocuous um, leads to a really serious kind of injury like that. And it's not because of excessive loading. It's not because of excessive heavy lifting, but genetics is a factor. And we can't really, um, you know, evaluate those factors of genetics, but it's something I think as a clinician, really important to to remember that a lot of times there's no one single answer for so many of these things. There's really um, a lot of different things that might be potentially at play there. Mm -hmm. And then the puzzle that genetics presents us around, if it is genetic, if it is just something that runs in our family, like, is that fate? Is that something yeah. that we're necessarily going to have? And if we do have it, does that mean we just stuck with it? Or are there things we can do as hands-on practitioners to help? And, and my, my bias is there always are. There always seems to be things we can do because genetics, uh, you know, determines, you could say, or influences a lot of the probabilities for things, but the possibilities, the other side of the coin, the possibilities of how we live and what we do is up to up to us and up to the inputs we have yeah. in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in back pain at all, and my guess is lots of folks are because lots of clients have these issues, go mm. back and take a listen. To great episode number 97 with Stuart McGill. Uh, what's next on your list? I think... Uh, well, I actually down to my last one. We've covered them all. That's right. We did actually talk about it. the other next one we shared in next common one. was the fascial stiffness one. So what's what's the the next one or last one you got? Number on the five list? on my list was my conversation with Dr. Peter Levine. It was episode one hundred eight, the most recent episode, where again he kindly took time to just meet and talk and reflect on his background. If you don't know him, Peter Levine. Uh, published a book in the 90s called uh, Waking the Tiger, I believe. I don't have it here on my desk anymore. But that turned around the trauma world in many places to, to from being a, say, an intractable brain condition to being a condition that involves the whole body and, and uh, brain and somatic responses. And much of today's trauma work in all kinds of fields, including with veterans, is strongly influenced by the directions he started us on to be and being furthered and of course popularized people people like Besser van der Kolk and uh, Robert Scher, people who have taken this idea of the trauma as a body response and elaborated on that. So us as body therapists get uh, some relevance from his teachings and from his writings. And what a lot of people don't realize was that he began his career as a hands-on therapist Early in his career, he studied with Ida Rolf, so he and I got to tell stories about that, talk about that, and I got to pick his brain a bit on how that experience led to the trauma work he does now. And then what's most important for us as hands-on practitioners to be able to recognize and how do we respond to clients who may be dealing with unresolved trauma. Yeah. It's a great conversation. Yeah. We have a wonderful. And the other... You know, a couple other things that I just, that maybe it really made me think about a lot there too, is I was kind of reflecting back on some of the stuff, you know, when I was uh, originally in massage school, and this was the the late 1980s, 1987-ish, something like that. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a trendy, popular thing to, to begin looking at a lot of these issues around trauma and psychological impacts of, of things in people's lives. And uh, some of the practitioners of that time, um, were really, I think, grossly oversimplifying things. And, you know, people were coming out and saying, you know, like, oh, mm -hmm. the reason your elbow hurts is because you've got anger at your father stored in your elbow kind of things. Oh, that's your jaw. That's yeah. your jaw. Your that's jaw. Your jaw. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, what's, what's the elbow one? 
Is that that's your oh, uncle or something? Maybe okay. Yeah, but you know, I, I think a lot of his work, um, Dr. Levine's work, and the things that he um, had had really brought about helps us see some of the much bigger pictures of things that are going on here, and that things are not just as simple as that. Uh, that they really are very vast in terms of how they may impact people. That's right. Not as simple as that, but still very tangible yeah. in the sense that it's it's uh, what happens when we're traumatized is we dissociate. Mm-hmm. We split off from our experience. And the way back, the way to help with the ongoing effects of trauma is to reassociate, to get back into our bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's been his eloquent touch point for the, all the decades he's been teaching yeah. and brought us some really tangible ways to help yeah. with that. And he's one of those people that you can um, you can look at him and his decades of work and look at just a tree of people who have been influenced by him and who right. he has had profound effect on and just see uh, a remarkable vast expanse of of impact that he has had on so many people in a lot of different areas. It was I was embarrassed. It was like a broken record. He kept, you know, saying these simple and clear ideas, and I realized, oh, that was you that helped me articulate that, you know, back in my, or since 40 years that I've known him and been learning from him as well. Yeah. Yeah. So a wonderful discussion there. uh, It was. Yeah. Well, you have uh, one more on your list. Yeah, I've got one more on my list. Uh, This was an interesting discussion that I had with Les Sweeney, the president of ABMP, where we were talking about the um, recent survey that they had done. They do this survey every few years on the state of the profession and what's going on. And um, I sometimes get to be a little bit of an analytics, data analytics geek and like looking at numbers about things and see what kind of story those numbers tell. And there were some real interesting things that we talked about in terms of how things have shifted and changed in the profession. And, And for me also trying to kind of like think about how does that impact not only me and my business and the things that I'm doing, but how does that really impact the whole experience of, of manual therapy for the clients and the people that are out there receiving it. And what is this going to mean for, for the future? Like one of the things that he said in there that was really resonated with me that I was just kind of like, wow, I got to think about what does this mean? He was talking about um, how, when they first started doing these surveys in the mid to the late nineties, I think it was when they got started with them, he would go around to schools and ask the students uh, questions. These are mostly obviously massage therapy schools. He was asking the students, um, how many of you plan to go into your own business and how many of you plan to go work for somebody or something like that? And usually at that time, he said like 80 to 90% of the hands were raised when people were going to start their own business. And he said, now it is completely flip-flopped that about, he goes around, asks that same question to the schools and like 80 to 90% of the people are planning to go work for somebody. And that might be a franchise operation or it might be a, you know, a health clinic or a spa somewhere or something like that. But they're planning, they're looking at massage as an employee-centered job that they will go get when they when they exit the the field, and I just think that's a really profound change uh, in our field, and curious how it will play out um, in the years to come. That's right. That's um, makes me think of other professions where that is the way in. I'm just thinking of physical therapy, for example. Mm-hmm. Most all physical therapists work in a clinic, work for somebody else at first, and then many of them aspire to be off on their own in private practice. Mm-hmm. So maybe there'll be an evolution. That, yeah, uh, it may be a this. who knows transition evolution thing, something just just very much like that. Yeah, but it is uh, uh, particularly interesting to watch some of those different trends. And we, you know, we talked a lot about like the school closings that were impacted by COVID and 
and mm. some of the other, just the overall shrinking of the, the training programs, the number of programs in the school, which is in the mm -hmm. country, in this country at least, which has gone way down since its peak around 2008 oh, or yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I am got on my soapbox a little bit about saying, you know, I think that we've really kind of needed that contraction because uh -huh. I do think we had a very large number of schools that were populated by teachers who didn't have a lot of really good experience teaching and, and that has all kinds of impacts going out into the profession as well. So um, massage graduate boom, mm -hmm. peaked. even though, yeah. And there's different contractures along the way, like you talked about, but even though the overall number of active practitioners continues to gradually rise over time. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what happened during COVID, honestly. I don't know about that, but I think that it's uh, it, the, the uh, lines I know about outside of that time period there's been a steady rise in the number of active practitioners. Yeah. And I think the demand is still there very high for oh these yes. services from the public. And now that it's become more popular and people are a lot more aware of it, there is absolutely a greater demand for it. And it will be um, interesting to see how those two things converge in the years ahead. There's certainly exceptions, I think, but in general, I, I hear in the, in the little snapshot of practitioners that I have direct interaction with, about how busy they are, mm -hmm. about how their problems are. How do I manage not being able to serve everybody I would like to? Yeah. Or how do I take care of myself? And I think this they tend to be practitioners that have been working for quite a while. And I know that there are exceptions, places where it still might be challenging to have the practice you want, even mm -hmm. as an experienced practitioner. But I think there's so much demand out there in general for what we do. And yeah. it's only increasing. Yep. And just to put a plug in for being good, the better you are at really bettering yourself and trying to serve your clients better. Those are the people who are the busiest. They are the people who clients are really wanting to see those people who are uh, digging in and, and trying to serve their clients in as many ways as possible. I think um, that's yeah. kind of the recipe for, for being successful for a lot of folks. And then the people that deal with busyness the best are also the learners, the people that are willing to find out how to be more uh specific, more intelligent, more focused, more intentional about what they're doing. That's how we survive. That's how we get sustainability. Once you're good, once you got the people, then you survive by being even better. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, I would say, you know, our goal, at least me, I'll sort of talk about me personally, but our goal for this upcoming year yeah. is to continue sharing as much content with you, the listeners, as possible about things that will help make you think some more. We have um, some interesting folks coming up. Who's we've got some interesting folks coming up on our list of of guests that we're having. Who, who well, else is on our list? It's going to be pretty soon. After, yeah. You know, after this episode, but you're going to talk to Rajam at the, from the San Diego Pain Summit. Mm -hmm. Rajam, how do you say her last name? Rose, Rose, Rajam Rose. Uh huh. Rajam Rose. So that's been a ongoing fixture in our profession for a while. That event that she coordinates. So I'll be interested to hear your conversation with her. Mm -hmm. Gil Headley's going to join us to give us a peek into his nerve tour process. Yep. And you and I each got to go be a part of the audience there. So it'll be fun to now talk on the other side of the mic with him. Yeah. Get that conversation. I have a date with Peggy Haran, who is one of the senior practitioners at the Esalen Institute and been there since the 70s. Wow. And that's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. She's a wonderful person and I've known her for many decades and I'm really looking forward to catching back up with her because she she she's a lineage holder in that she remembers the place that uh, Esalen and Esalen Massage uh, held in popularizing massage in the culture in general. Mm 
yeah many in many ways there are many seeds that sprouted out of the work she and her colleagues were doing there mm. uh in the 70s and so she's got some great perspectives on that process yeah and for a lot of people who you know maybe the history of massage and soft tissue work was just an academic thing in massage school that you just had to listen to in order to pass your class these things influence um, a lot of where things have come from and where we are currently. And I do think it is always valuable to have a good perspective on the history. And so uh, I really look forward to hearing what she has to say there. Important thread in the lineage for yeah. all of us, me in particular. So I'll look forward to that one. Yeah. And then if we can find a date to get him in, Eric Dalton wants to come in. That'll be fun to finally get him behind the mic. Yeah, we've been trying to do that for a while. So uh, yeah, we'll look forward to doing that, uh, having a good chat there. So and as always, um, let us know what we can do for you, the listeners. What do you want to hear more about? What can we do to help provide you great content throughout the next year? We always appreciate your input, um, emails that you send us, comments that you send us, et cetera. But uh, do let us know what you want to learn more about, what you want to hear us talk about. Um, and we'll try to squeeze it onto the list for this coming year as well. As well as follow-up questions or thoughts for our guests. Those are always stimulating too. Yeah. To real to hear your reactions, thoughts, questions, and ponderings, experiences around the topics our guests are talking about. Love getting those as well. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. We'll, so we'll put a list of the links to these episodes on our website. Maybe I'll slip in our biggest downloads of all time too. I'll put that list in there. Our greatest hits forever, not just this fourth season. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds uh, good. Who's our closing sponsor? Yes, today? and so um, Books of Discovery, and we want to thank them again so much for their continual support ever since the very beginning with, with mm -hmm. us. So Books of Discovery has been a part of the massage and bodywork world for over 25 years. Nearly 3,000 schools around the globe teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. And Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here, and they find that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and are proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community thought-provoking and enlivening content that advances our profession. Here's how I got connected to them. Instructors of manual therapy education programs can request complimentary copies of Books of Discovery's textbooks for review or use in their programs. That's how, again, they sent me some review copies way back in the 90s, I believe it was. I was like, these are cool. I'm going to start using these. Yeah. So reach out to them. They still do that. Reach out to them at booksofdiscovery.com. And you, a listener, whether or not you're a teacher, can explore their collection of learning resources for anatomy, pathology, kinesiology, physiology, ethics, and business mastery at booksofdiscovery.com, where you as a thinking practitioner listener can save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. So thanks to all of our listeners and to our sponsors. We appreciate you hanging out with us here and uh, stopping by and, and sharing some of your ear time in the world with us. You can stop by our sites for the video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. Until where can they find that for you? Advanced-trainings.com. If you have questions, comments, or things you'd like to hear us talk about, as we said, do Email us or just record a short voice memo on your phone, and it's easy to email it to us. It'd be fun to hear your voice and might even play it on the air if you want. Email that to info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. Look for us on social media. 
under our names. I am Till Luca. Who are you? Uh, today, I am Whitney Lowe, and we'll probably be that tomorrow. So you can check us out over there on social. You can rate us on the Apple podcast, as it does help other people find the show. That is actually quite important, so we encourage you to do that. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Google... What is it now? It's uh, YouTube Music. Uh, Google oh. Podcasts oh, yeah. has, is going away this year. It's now YouTube okay. Music. So there you go. Um, wherever you happen to listen. Uh, and please do share the word and tell a friend. And we'll look forward to sharing with you again. Here we go on another season. Thank you, Whitney. All right. Thank you. Thank you.